What's going on, guys? In this podcast, I'm going to basically just have some random topics to discuss. It's just a solo pod with me. Um, I want to talk some fantasy stuff. I want to talk a little bit about the Rams and Bucks matchup, just because that's such a fun one. You know, I'm looking forward to that one a lot this week. Talk a little bit about the Thursday night game, tonight's game with the Panthers and Texans, because that's oddly intriguing in some ways, at least if you're into stats, right? Um, Let's start off with that. So Carolina is obviously undefeated. Both games have been in Carolina. They played the Jets, and um, and I, they looked obviously great against the Jets. And then no one really expected them to do this against the Saints, but they definitely um, exceeded expectations against New Orleans, right? The the Panthers' defense right now, and I know I've I've been very much praising them uh, for the last couple last couple days or whatever, but it's deservedly so you know they've they have the top rated pass defense in terms of yards per game allowed the top rated run defense in terms of yards per game allowed the top rated points per game defense and the most sacks in the nfl so excuse me so when you look at that right you might say well the saints don't have the greatest offense and the uh jets you know we saw how they looked against the patriots and i'll say that's what you're supposed even if that's the truth that's how you're supposed to look if you're a really good defense. You're supposed to dominate those types of teams, right? Like if you if you're playing if you're a great defense and you're playing against a not very good offense, then you should look exactly how Carolina looks. And I think that when you look at the Saints' offensive line, for them to just dominate that offensive line like that, that's not normal, right? That's that's not something an average team does. Just generally speaking, I mean, a team might have an outlier performance like that, an average team every now and then. But the fact that they did it the week before, um, you know, as well, sort of kind of, uh, to me, indicates that they're legit, right? And so, as I mentioned yesterday, they have to dominate this Houston Texans team, right? They're down to their third string quarterback at the end of the day. You know, Watson could play, but really can't because, you know, how it, would, how it might look. And then Tyrod Taylor, who was playing very well, is now out. And so, Davis Mills, third round quarterback Davis Mills from this recent draft who's probably not the most pro ready guy is uh thrust into the starting lineup so the the weird thing and the interesting thing about this matchup against the texans is low-key offensively houston has been pretty decent right there uh they're averaging 29 points a game and so and davis mills looked decent uh you know against cleveland last week so there was that right he targeted the hell out of brandon cooks if i recall correctly i think like half of his targets went to cooks but in my opinion, the, the Panther defense and just the team as a whole, they have to dominate this game, right? Because one thing you can say about the Houston offense is again, they look, they look, they've been scoring points, right? But the defense hasn't been great from a, I mean, even Trevor Lawrence had his struggles, but he still threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, right? So like Baker Mayfield didn't have more than I think two completion incompletions in that game. So um, but the Panthers as a team need to just go out there and dominate, in my opinion. They, they need to go out there and, and let everyone know that this is here to stay. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to have letdown games in a season where two weeks ago we weren't thought of universally as a playoff team, right? Like it, you can't have them that soon. You know, if you're the Chiefs and you go out there and play a team like the Chargers, like last year's week two game where Herbert started, like that's okay to have those letdown games because you still win them and you're the freaking chiefs, right? We know you can play with those expectations and whatever. So the Panthers now just 
a couple weeks into the season, the expectations have changed. I mean, look, last week they were home dogs, you know, against the Saints, but still they were home dogs. So they need to come out this week and they need to kick ass. Um, Stafford and the Rams against Brady and the Bucks. Man, this one is going to be fun, right? Daryl Henderson's dealing with a rib injury. Uh, they're optimistic that he'll play. I can say as someone who broke a rib just last night, that's that's I don't know if his rib is broken. It's something like a cartilage issue or whatever. Um, it's going to be hard for him to play if it's broken simply because I've broken a rib before and they tell you like it's dangerous to get if you get hit on that rib again. And again, I don't I don't know if Henderson has a broken rib exactly. I think it's a little different. I'm no doctor. But when they told me when I first broke my rib previously, they said if you get hit on it again, because I was like, can I still play basketball? You know, I like to play basketball for fun. They, they said if you get hit on it again, you can puncture a lung, you know, so it's a little bit risky of an of a injury to kind of, you know, mess around with. So it would be, in my opinion, if it's any in any jeopardy of getting broken or any more jeopardy, like any increased chance of breaking a rib. I mean, I don't see how a doctor is going to want to clear them at least right away, you know, unless it's just not that big of a deal. So in, in any event. Whoever the running back is for LA is going to have the work cut out for him because Tampa does not allow rush yards. As we know, it's been three, you know, we're going on three years now of just like they don't allow rushing yards. They were the, even in that year where their defense was thought of as not a very good defense, Jameis's last year, 2019, they were still, I believe, either first or second in rushing yards. I think the, um, in rush defense. So I think that it was either them, the Jets that were first or second, but uh, that was the order in some way. So yeah, you're not going to be able to really, you know, run the football against them. And I think Dallas has a had a, a pretty decent game plan. Like, let's just not even try. Like most weeks, and especially if you have the personnel that a Dallas has, if you have the personnel that a Los Angeles Rams have in terms of skill players and quarterback, if you feel like, hey, you know what? Screw running the ball. Like we're not going to just bash our head into a steel door, right, over and over again. We're going to try and um, instead of running it, we're going to try and just throw the football uh, with our matchups on the outside, because at the end of the day, man, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup are pretty comparable to something like Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, Van Jefferson. You know, Van Jefferson, by the way, played 92 percent of the snaps last week. So even though he's not, you know, a statistical producer in a big way at this point, he still, you know, can play. And they and they also have depth with like guys like Deshaun Jackson and the rookie Tutu Atwell, who they took in the second round for some odd reason. But hey. They've got depth. They obviously like him. They force fed him in the preseason to try and help him get ready. Um, and, you know, just looking at that Rams off their skill players, I would say that the best position for them is to kind of come out with that Dallas game plan. Like, let's use the uh, quick passing game as a running game. And that's kind of what they did last year, if I remember correctly. It was a lot of quick game. Uh, you know, they felt like there were guys that they could take advantage of that uh, Buccaneer secondary in terms of their skill guys like, you know, Woods and Cup. So I think that um, that's gonna likely be the game plan again and more than anything guys i'm just so excited to see matthew stafford playing a big game he had even though it's early you know they're both 2-0 teams or whatever but he hasn't played many of these games you know like you haven't had any hype around detroit being a legit super bowl contender i mean not that i can remember at least i don't think ever so or at least in stafford's career there but yeah man i think um this one is going to be fun watching him play against tom brady who has, you know, basically every game of his career feels like has been a big game, right? Unless he's just been a huge favorite. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this Buccaneers secondary stacks up with that Rams skill guys in the passing game overall, because right now they're, they're 30th in pass yards allowed per game. So they haven't been, 
you know, statistically very good, right? St- uh, I mean, uh, Dak was able to do his thing in week one, and then Matt Ryan had his moments, albeit with two pick sixes last week. So, you know, the Buccaneers receivers against this Rams secondary is also going to be interesting because the Rams are allowing the 11th fewest pass yards per game, you know, and uh, obviously Brady has nine passing touchdowns over the first two weeks. So that is going to certainly be a matchup to watch. And I wonder, is Brady ever going to slow down? Like, dude, this guy is 44 years old and he, he just threw nine touchdowns in the first two weeks. You know, I mean, I know the the competition you'll say wasn't great and whatever, and I, and I get that, but I mean, damn, nine touchdowns, right? So anyways, I can't wait to see this game. I can't wait to see what Stafford looks like in a big game. I can't wait to see, you know, uh, if Brady can, because remember, t- uh, Tampa lost to this team last year. They lost to Jared Goff-led Rams team. So you would think, and that was in Tampa, so you would think, that with Stafford in LA with home field advantage, you would think the Rams are going to be in a pretty good spot this year to, to really upset them. And how big of a deal would it be? I think I mentioned this yesterday on the pod with Josh. Uh, how big of a deal would it be for the for the Rams to for Stafford to go out there and have three touchdowns, three hundred yards, and and um, you know beat Tom Brady and the Bucks right now? So, I mean, it would be awesome. So I can't wait to see that game. It's on the early afternoon game, so we don't have to wait till Sunday night. Although I kind of wish it was a Sunday night game. That would be just even more cool. Um, let's talk about Rondo Moore for a second. As you guys heard my friend Josh yesterday, he he bid 35% of his budget on Rondo Moore in our FAAB Yahoo League. So I get that. And when you look at Rondo, he's played 29% of the snaps in week one, 46% of the snaps week two. And uh, he's been impre- incredibly productive despite the lower snap counts, right? You know, four for 68 in week one and then seven caught seven of eight targets in, in week two for 114 yards and a touchdown. So I think ultimately... Rondell Moore could go one of two ways. He could continue to obviously his snap counts are probably going to increase because he's, you know, earned that, I would say. And so he could either be the high end second option on this Cardinals team for the rest of the season and in a legit wide receiver, two, Or he could kind of, you know, be boom bust, I think, from here on out. Right. Like DeAndre Hopkins at the end of the day is always, as I mentioned yesterday, going to be the wide receiver one there in Arizona. And so that might work to Rondale's, you know, advantage because even last year I made the comparison to Justin Jefferson. You know, if Rondale was to continue this production, even what he did last week, 100 yards every single game, defenses are still going to treat D-Hop as that guy, right? Because we know D-Hop can do, you know, the 100-plus yards every game, even in situations where you're, you're doubling him, right? Doesn't At the end of the day, he's an elite player. So we know that Rondell is not going to get that kind of reputation and supersede D-Hop in year one, at least, right? So I think that ultimately, will defenses start paying more attention to Rondell more if he continues to do so or produce at this level? Then, yeah, I think they'll absolutely will. And I think D-Hop will ultimately benefit from that. So I think they can yin and yang kind of help each other out in some regard, but I would look for Rondell to definitely exceed or uh, increase his snap percentages because he hasn't even played 50% yet. And I think that we'll see my gut feeling is we'll see a little bit of a boomer bust kind of guy, a guy that some weeks you start him and, and the guy that you benched him for is going to have more points than him, you know, maybe even by a lot. Right. And then you'll have other weeks where he does this. So that's my take on him. I think he's a bit boomer bust, but, um, I would call him right now a wide receiver three with with big time upside. That's just my take on Rondell Moore. Um, let's talk about Hunter Renfro, man. I think Hunter Renfro needs to be rostered. You look at Hunter Renfro, similar to Rondell Moore, has played 55% of the snaps week one, 
45% in week two, but the guy's been targeted 16 times, nine times in week one, seven in week two. So, or I might have those reversed, but either way, he had six catches, 70 yards and five catches for 57 yards in the first two games of the season. I think that Hunter Renfro in a scenario similar again to Rondo Moore, we'll see his snap counts increase because if you ask me right now, who will the Raiders, not in week two, not in week one, who will the Raiders week 12, week 14, week 17 receivers, leading receivers be? I'm going to say Henry Ruggs and Hunter Renfro. And I think Hunter Renfro will lead them in receptions. I don't even think that's a hot take. So what does that mean, right? Like, again, if he's doing this with playing essentially 50% of the snaps, what happens when they just say, hey, don't even come off the field. You are you are our best um move the chains type of receiver, right? Maybe our best receiver overall, who knows? But like, to me, you've got to keep that guy in the field. If he's on the field for 90 or 80, you know, plus percentage of the snaps, I think that in that event, you'll have to, you'll see a guy get targeted even more. I mean, he could potentially be a, he could be 140 plus target a year guy, right? I mean, and as soon as this year. So to me, He's, he was available in all of my leagues, so I went and scooped him up. Other than the league, I grabbed Henry Ruggs in yesterday because I think Ruggs has more you know, upside in terms of like being able to offer you those hugely dynamic games and also because Henry Ruggs was the 10th overall pick in the draft just last year. So for him to be a free agent in one of my leagues after going off for 100 yards last week, I think is uh, – and I'm not going to own two Raider receivers, but otherwise I have picked up Renfro in every league, and I think that he's going to be a legit – flex option every week i mean i think that his floor i mean as you've seen this week six for 70 and 557 or this year so far i mean uh he's been legitimately uh, he looks like a high floor guy he looks like a julian edelman type player you know honestly and you know i, I just think that um like i said his snap counts will increase and i think that he needs to be owned all right quintess cephas another guy i think we need to own him right and in week one he played just 35 percent of the snaps okay but he was targeted six times and he caught a touchdown and he converted the two point conversion. Right. So when you look at that, you automatically say, well, maybe golf likes this guy. Then in week two, he played 89% of the snaps. He was targeted seven times, one more than he was in week one. And he caught four for 63 and another touchdown, including that big third down play where he got deep down the field or whatever up the sideline. So look, I mean, Quintus Cephas was a guy that I liked pre-draft coming out of Wisconsin, I believe it was, but he ran like a 4.840. He obviously, as I said, pre-draft, he plays faster, you know, and I think that, um, I think he's going to continue to be involved. And if, if I'm being honest, in terms of like, if we just say like, where are we going to go from here with Quintez Cephas? I think he could be their wide receiver one. And that doesn't mean, or almost certainly doesn't mean he's going to be their top receiver because they have Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift and even Jamal Williams as a receiver there as well at the running back position. But I do think that it's conceivable that he could be their second leading receiver, maybe third, you know, second or third. And look, six targets and seven targets in, in the first two games is absolutely encouraging. And I think that what are the Lions also, unfortunately for Lions fans, have working for them? Game flow will likely be in Quintus Cephas's favor because they're probably going to be losing some games. So, you know, him in a role where they're going to throw the ball probably close to 40 plus times a game is a role that uh, I think he can, from a fantasy standpoint, he can thrive in. Right. And I think that when you, people need to remember fantasy football, you don't 
garbage time points count exactly the same as points, you know what I mean, in a winning effort. So it doesn't matter if it's garbage time in fantasy. And that might be a reason why we need to consider Jared Goff as well. Because if you need to, if you don't, if your quarterback has like an awful matchup in a week, just pick up Jared Goff. He's likely available and he'll probably throw for 300 yards. I mean, every other game, he's going to throw for 300 yards at least eight times this year. Uh, it's just my opinion. So if you get him on one of those weeks where they're getting blown out, even who cares? Like he's going to keep slinging it. Right. So somebody said he's the new Stafford, right, in Detroit. And that was kind of like the story with Stafford. He was he was good, but it was always he was statistically good, but it was always kind of in a an effort. Not always, but a lot of times in a losing effort. So but yeah, man, I think Quintus Cephas is probably available in your league. And I think that if he is, you need to go scoop him up. Let's talk about Justin Fields. He's getting a start. And um I think the most important thing here is as I mentioned yesterday, he's a guy that and really not just he's a guy, but anybody's a guy that's going to benefit when the game plan is designed around their strengths, right? So I think we'll see some design runs. I think we'll see him relying a lot. I think he'll rely pretty heavily on Cole Komet. I think Komet will be much more involved this week. I know I kind of whiffed badly last week when I started him over Mike Kosicki, and that's not like Kosicki went crazy, but he definitely did more than Cole Komet. But uh, I think Komet was just targeted once last week, which is crazy because the previous like five games going back to last year, he was targeted six plus times, I think, in, in uh, all but one of those games. So I think Cole Komet is a big beneficiary because, as I've mentioned many times this pre-draft and, and now this season, rookie quarterbacks tend to rely on the tight end. You know, I mean, look at what uh, Mac Jones is doing there in New England. I know not the, when you look at Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith, one of them isn't necessarily exceedingly valuable in fantasy yet. However, when you look at just how much he's targeting one or the other, it's been quite a bit, right? So I think, uh, I mean, it's been like 10 plus times a game, if I'm recalling that correctly. But I think Cole Komet is definitely a beneficiary. I think that Allen Robinson is a beneficiary. Robinson dropped the touchdown from Fields last week. But his own game plan, I think, is going to work wonders for him. And I think ultimately, man, I don't think he's given the job back to Andy Dalton. If he goes out there and plays well, and let's just say they win, right, which would be a huge win in Cleveland, I think that would be very um, – it would be almost illogical to then go back to Andy Dalton, right? I mean, really. Like, it, it would be – it would be – a real head scratcher. So I think that in all likelihood, as I've been saying all along, Fields will be the starter by week four. I think that after this game, to, uh, this week and week three, I think he will have solidified his spot as a starter moving forward. And, and I'm not calling him a polished pro-ready guy. I just think that right now he is he'll, – he'll probably offer you more dynamic ability as an offense than Andy Dalton will. That's just my – my overall take on him, you know, because of what he can do with his legs and also because of what he can do just pushing the football down the field, right? Right now, I think he has a, I mean, I just think he has a much stronger arm than Andy Dalton. So Justin Fields, I think, is snatching a hold of that starting job after this week, and he will continue to be the starter for the Bears for hopefully the next 10, 15 years. Next guy I want to talk about is Elijah Moore, right? So Elijah in week one played 86% of the snaps. That was huge, right? But then you looked at it and said, well, he only had one reception for minus three yards. Then in week two, comes back and plays 78% of the snaps, right? In week two, however, he was targeted eight times, caught four of them for 47 yards. Um, so that is now. Fantasy-wise, you look at that and you say, yeah, that's 
that's cool and all four for 47 ain't going to pay my bills right that's not gonna that's not gonna get me a, the wide receiver two i was hoping for or whatever you were hoping for with elijah moore but first of all he's been dropped in a few of my leagues i'm scooping him up you know and i, and I already did i believe in one of them so to me i think that and here's my optimism for elijah moore moving forward i wasn't a huge elijah moore fan but do you know what I've learned over the two weeks, first two weeks of the season? I've learned that he's going to play an average of 80% of the snaps, right? I didn't know that. I didn't know that he would be, you know, that's the thing about rookies. We don't know their role. We don't know if they're going to be, quote unquote, a starter, right? We don't know if they're going to be the guy. And um, Elijah Moore, what I've learned so far is that the intent is to use him as much as they can early and often, right? So, let me ask you this. Is it plausible that these two things happen? Number one, is it plausible that Zach Wilson improves? I mean, he's a rookie, right? He played week one against the best defense in the NFL right now, statistically speaking, in Carolina. And he actually had some moments toward the over the last three drives of that game. And he also played week two against what I believe, as I said yesterday, is the top three defense in the NFL against the New England Patriots, right? And Belichick against rookie quarterbacks, all that stuff. Is it possible that Zach Wilson plays a whole lot better? I think that's at least a possibility, right? And is it also possible that Elijah locks in an even larger role, an even more efficient role moving forward? You know, because I got news for you guys. The Jets will, will eventually have easier matchups than Carolina, New England, right? And I think this week it won't start because I think they play Denver. <laughs> that's rough. But I think ultimately, and the best part about them playing Denver this week is if Elijah Moore hasn't been dropped in your league when he likely doesn't do a whole bunch this week against Denver, he'll probably be, I mean, he might be dropped, right? So at least there's a chance because people get impatient, man, especially in these early weeks, they tend to overreact. Like if a guy had a great first six weeks or a good first six weeks, and then he has two bad games, you're not dropping that guy, right? So I think that's the biggest thing about the early weeks. Like maybe, maybe those overreactions can end up in huge benefits for you in the case of guys like Elijah Moore. Um, I think also, and this guy I'm not nearly as bullish on, but I think KJ Hamler is someone we need to keep an eye on with, at least with Jerry Judy out. I think the, um, when you look at snap percentages over week one, he played 36% of the snaps and week two, 71%, right? So Judy's out again in Cortland Sutton, I know went crazy in week two, but um, I think that KJ Hamler is just a, a guy to keep an eye on. If you have an open roster space right now that you're pretty comfortable, like, you know, dropping whoever for, or you just have an open spot, open spot. I think KJ Hamler is someone you should just grab now because again, it's good to be a week early on guys like that. And that's kind of like, you know, he's the perfect so uh, example of someone to pick up to be a week early on. So yeah, I would go ahead and scoop uh, KJ Hamler if you can, or if anything else at a bare minimum, just keep an eye on him. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills real quick, guys. I think the Buffalo Bills defense might be back to their 2018 2019 form right uh i mean obviously they just blanked miami 35 zip you know but when you look at their overall season stats so far they're seventh in rush yards allowed just allowing 73 yards a game starla tulule's back baby um and then their second in pass yards allowed a game 161. they're second in sacks a game averaging four per game and they're tied for second in points per game allowing just 11 and a half points a game the biggest thing for Buffalo, in my opinion, and my, I guess my concern for them is if they are back to the 2018-2019 Bills in terms of their defense being a dominant force for the whole season, 
I think that um, I just worry that their identity is a little bit unknown amongst themselves, right? How self-aware are they in the sense that they want to sling it 40, 50 times a game with Josh Allen. You know, they don't want to run. Like, what did the Bills in 2018, 2019 do that kept them in basically every game they played? They ran the football. They limited the possessions. They made life easier on their young quarterback. I don't think there's anything wrong with making life easier on your potentially elite young quarterback. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know? And then when you need him to air it out and push the ball, like think about games last year where that even in Josh Allen's phenomenal 2020 campaign, he still had these clunkers in games against um, uh, like even this, you know, he didn't really dominate the Steelers in that one game. If I can recall correctly, they got beat up in Tennessee. He didn't dominate that game, right? It was, it was a no, we're not going to run the ball. We're just going to throw it. So even in, at times last year in a, you know, historically good season by a quarterback, really, uh, he wasn't always able to just from, you know, able to just throw the we're just going to drop back and throw it every time. Like, I'd like to see if the offense becomes more balanced and you have a dominant defense. Now you are really, in my opinion, optimized in terms of winning football games, in terms of being a legitimate Super Bowl champion, because guess what? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the championship last year, as we all know. And what did they have? A pretty balanced attack, although, like, yeah, they threw a bunch with Tom Brady. I know that. But they also were, were you know, pretty committed to the run game. It didn't have one back that they, that they featured all the time. But they, they did run the ball a lot more than Buffalo, if I recall correctly. You know, they, they were a team that if they needed to pass it 50 times, they had no problem doing that. But they were also usually pretty consistent running the football in games that they weren't like the primetime game against the saints, you know, it didn't work out so well. And that's with Tom freaking Brady at quarterback with all the weapons he has. So to me, I think that Buffalo could be a super bowl contending team. I would just, again, I know I'm probably annoying you guys with this. I just want to see more balance and they've got the Washington football team this week. If you go out there against the Ron Rivera defense with all those first rounders up front, if you go out there against them and abandon the run game and just and and here's the thing about them, right? Remember when Dallas did this against Tampa? Dallas was throwing a lot of quick passes, right? They were they were using the short pass game as an extension of the run game as we always hear, right? That's fine, especially when you have the weapons advantage in terms of your skill guys versus their secondary. Buffalo doesn't necessarily have that huge advantage, right? They don't have a trio of receivers quite to the level of Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and, uh, you know, um, Michael Gallup. Like, they don't quite have that, but they do have a solid receiving core. Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, Gabriel. Like, they have good guys there for sure, but their passing game isn't always a quick game. Like Josh likes to hold it and, and he likes to push it down the football field, right? There's, that's the thing. If you don't have any semblance of a running game or even any threat of a running game, against the front like Washington, they are going to just tee off and they're going to be all over you. And the thing about Washington and the Ron Rivera coach defense, as Sean McDermott knows all too well, is they are a defense that's really not – they're, they're kind of hell-bent on not allowing the big play against them, right? So that's where you, where you see an issue potentially with Buffalo if they're going to come out there and not run the ball, you know? And, and also if they're going to come out there if they want to pass the ball every play and not – be content taking the underneath consistently because you might have to with that pass rush combined with the way that they play in terms of like scheme, you may have to take the underneath more often than you might like. So 
Um, but anyways, guys, that's the end of this podcast. Just want to holler at you for a second, have some random thoughts to discuss here and keep the 8 a.m. schedule going for you. But um, if you have listened on YouTube, and I know we haven't had the video yet, we have had some malfunctions there, but go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's just Fair Shake Football. Uh, we're going to be, me and Josh are going to be putting out pretty consistent content on there as well. And I will talk to you guys later. Peace.